You're listening to the CapEx Big Question podcast, where we're joined by other investors, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs discussing global game-changing trends and burning topics that keep investors up at night, one question at a time. So I'm just I'm just chatting with uh, with somebody that I was introduced to here a couple of months ago, I think it was, um, investigating some opportunities in Iran, and was introduced to a gentleman who is not particularly in the money management business, but in the energy sector, and that's kind of interesting for me. So um, I decided to hop on the call today with Marty. While we're on the phone, yeah, Marty, maybe just give me a bit of background. We'll give listeners a bit of a background as to your own your own industry experience and how you got into doing what you're doing now, and then we can run through what exactly that is. Sure. Hello, everyone. I uh, my name is Marty Kazamzadeh. I started out uh, in the engineering and technology um, ten years ago, and uh, initially, basically, designing nuts and bolts, and worked my way up uh, in 2013. Uh, I went to work for, uh, um, I started working for myself. Uh, before that, I had been working for BP, an oil company. In 2013, I started my own company because Iran was opening up. Uh, there was an opportunity to take advantage of uh, the Iran opening. Uh, for the first time, Iranian president and uh, Barack Obama spoke on the phone for like 15 minutes, and I saw there was a big change was about to come. So, I started this company and my main objective was to kind of play a principal role in what was happening. Not really, um, I didn't really know what I was going to do, but I just wanted to play a part and be, be part of this opening. And um, it's been a roller coaster since. <laughs> so, you know, we just been discussing before the call, um, you know, some of the... <laughs> Some of the machinations, if you will, around Iran and, and what, you know, that that euphoria, well, maybe that's the wrong word, but the, the positive influence that came post-2013 and how that basically dropped off to due to a couple of reasons. I mean, one was the Trump election, which is a negative for any of those sorts of negotiations and sanctions and the likes. But another one was, you know, largely the, shall we call it incompetence or lack of speed with which... Iranians managed to actually bring you know, some of those huge supplies to the market in, a, in an orderly fashion post-2013. Do you want to just quickly dive into, into that side of things in terms of, you know, we, we're now 2017, right? <clears throat> yeah. And, right. and, you know, what was it, June, June 2013? So anyway, December. Was... Yeah, this was, this was December, around December. The November, the colds happened in November and then, and uh, from December onwards, pretty much was negotiations every other month until the deal came out in 2015. Right. Mid-2015. Well, you know, I focus mostly on oil and gas. I can talk about oil and gas, but I think there is a lot of things happening in other sectors of other, other parts of the economy. If you look at the oil and gas, there was definitely, um, there was definitely we Iranians kind of burned an opportunity to ramp up quickly. I think that there are multiple reasons for why this happened. Um, this started already way before Trump's election. One was the fact that because Iran had been closed for about 10 years, Iranian companies had become very good at 
doing a lot of things. And so post removal of sanctions, when the government decided that they can introduce these contracts and bring foreigners in, Iranian companies felt, well, they could play a key role themselves in actually doing the work because they had been doing the work anyway. And Iran is a country which is producing well over 3 million barrels by itself without the presence of any foreign company. But the Chinese are present, but not really in any, they're not producing Iran's large fields. And so Iranians felt, well, we could do this ourselves. So there was, there was that angle. Uh, there was the fact that oil price crashed from December 14, pretty much onwards. So the oil prices were not great and oil companies started cutting on CapEx, started cutting on business development. And then uh, Iranians were slow in bringing these new contracts out uh, in order to encourage oil companies to come in. So there are a bunch of reasons for why it happened, macro and micro. It, at the same time, although this is a challenge, but at the same time, it's an opportunity because some of those, some oil companies are, are well equipped to take advantage of this kind of environment. They can do very well. They can do really great projects and make a lot of money in a place like this. And so those oil companies are currently in Iran and doing, developing their projects. And um, irrespective of what Trump says, they are trying to make their, they are trying to progress their projects. But I don't think anybody's really going to make any significant investment until they know what's the situation going to be with Trump because he hasn't really said much on Iran. There isn't much policy so far in terms of what he's going to do. So that's, the, that's where we are at the moment. It wasn't just Trump. This slowdown started way before. So was that slowdown due to the energy prices more than any yeah. political side of things? Yeah, because, you know, when energy prices go down, what happens in the oil industry is that when oil price goes down, uh, you know, we, unfortunately, you know, people buy when, when the stuff is expensive uh, and they sell when the stuff is cheap, unfortunately. So when oil price goes down, oil companies, rather than investing and buying, they start selling and they become cautious. So it's what, it's what helps create a wonderful commodity cycle for us. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. You have these huge cycles yeah. and you know, you really want to sell at the top of the cycle, but unfortunately that's not the case. So when oil prices crashed, again, these big players started uh, pulling back and reducing investments and spending less on business development. And this is how we ended up where we are. Again, there's a case to make for Iran because the cost of production in Iran is very low per barrel oil that you take out. So long-term, Iran makes sense for any oil company. Yeah. But it would come with the cost of business development. And some of them were so short-sighted, they didn't want to incur any costs in uh, and ignoring the long-term benefits of actually being in Iran, which provides you with, uh, with an access to very low-cost production over time you mentioned like there was that um latency in terms of getting getting contracts on the table was that a legal like in it i don't know because i'm not familiar with the legal process in iran and um and how easy or how difficult that is was that one of the major impediments or was it purely a short-sightedness on the part of iranian companies that were basically trying to grab more market share and, and try to just just being greedy was it a, like a, you know, a greedy element or was it actually just a, a structural bureaucratic difficulty in terms of doing business? So if you took, for example, 
if you and I went into Uganda and we want to do business in Uganda, even if we're gung-ho, it's going to be a difficult process compared to let's go and do business in Singapore, right? It's just a, yeah. a very easy, the legal framework, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, um, there's no real reason why we can't actually get up and going in a, in a um, rapid fashion with relatively low OPEX. So was it an issue of um, the legal infrastructure in Iran being uh, less good than it should be, or was it more just a greedy element? Well, I think it was. It wasn't the legal so so much the legal issue with the contract. Um, it was really because you see, when the the new contracts were designed, they they were they they were actually more than a contract. They were a reform plan, if you know what I mean. And really, reform is hard because to make those contracts happen, they were you would you you would have to um, reform the industry. And that's something that Iranian companies just, um, that, that wasn't communicated in that way or fashion to Iranian companies. And these companies were, uh, which have big, big chunk of the market for 10 years, they have actually become very, very powerful businesses. They've learned how to do things themselves, rely on themselves, be self-sufficient. So these companies were pretty good at what they were doing. And they, they just, they didn't, this wasn't presented to them as, look, this is a reform plan. We're going to reform the industry. This is how you're going to make money uh, when the new contracts arrive. It was just told that these are new contracts and we want international companies to come in and you will partner with them and you will work together. But that, that was just simply was not enough. I suppose if you had put, um, I actually am confident if, if the administration had put in a bit more time explained to the local industry what was going to happen, how they were going to reform the industry and approach these new contracts as a form of new petroleum contracts as a form of reform and gone about it as, as this is a reform, maybe things would have turned out differently uh, because they would have become more uh, helpful, leaning towards helping the administration to put the contract out. But that didn't happen. So, so we don't know. For the moment, that's at, even today, we still haven't got these contracts on on that yet so there's still not that so we've got okay so so that's one side of it what about the demand side obviously we've had oil prices have come off the boil significantly is we'll put the political aspect to the side for the moment because that's at least from trump's the trump administration side of things we don't no one really knows exactly what it's going to look like but we know if, we know a couple of things the size of the market in terms of is hydrocarbons themselves are significant. It's the largest hydrocarbon reserves in the world. You've got a country which has got GDP per capita is, um, you know, what's it about, 17, 18, something like that, thousand. So it's a, it's a higher middle income country and yeah. highly educated population, fairly decent legal infrastructure, things like that. So those elements there, absolutely, they, they, they would be conducive to actually. Um, doing business, essentially, and being able to bring a lot of this Absolutely. on stream. Then we also know that in terms of you looking at, from back to the geopolitical space, relatively friendly with Russia, China, Asia. Mm -hmm. um, so friends in, in all those what are increasingly high places. How do you see that moving forward with respect to actually bringing a lot of this stuff on, on stream? 
And the difficulties clearly that have been taking place since you know, 2013, 2015, presumably lessons have been learned by Iranian companies and um, you know, everybody wants to be able to make money. At some point, the cycle will turn into the commodity cycle. We could have a spike, of course, from a yeah. political intrusions or, or some sort of um, altercations in, in the Caspian yeah. or who knows where. Um, but aside from that, at some yeah. point, we're going to move back into a commodity upswing. And then the question really is, is Iran going to be able to mm. be positioned at that point in time to really capture and to be able to take advantage of that of that next commodity swing. Yeah, the funny thing is that when you think about uh, positioning, it actually almost always it the fundamentals that play a role, not the politics, not the geopolitics. That's because you're thinking long term. You put things into the long term perspective. So these are investments that are. 20, 30, 40 year long-term investments that companies are supposed to, are, are making and hopefully will, will make. Um, so the fact that contract is two years late, really, <laughs> you know, it's just doesn't, it doesn't come into the picture. But fundamentals are absolutely right in Iran. All of those things you said, plus the security situation, um, we have a safe country. Um, we have a stable political system in the country and our neighbors are in a lot of trouble, uh, both in Iraq uh, uh, and Afghanistan. You have in the north, in the south, you, you look, uh, there's a lot of political turmoil and a lot of companies who went and invested in Kurdistan, invested in Iraq, they're having a tough time right now. So security is very important uh, in our business. So you can see that fundamentals in Iran are right. So for any company, a lot of the smart companies right now um, haven't actually left the game just because Trump has been elected. They continue to develop, do business development slowly. And eventually when the time is right, they're going to come back in. And Iranians know this as well. So it's a long game. And Iran has always been a long game. But also it's a very, like many other places in the world where there is need, demand for everything, that's not the case in Iran. You know, if you go, for example, in, in many countries in Africa, uh, it used to be the case in many countries in East, in East Africa, if you're going in to develop an oil project, you had to take your value chain with you. Yeah, everything was needed. Iran is not the case. So uh, Iran is, that's why they're looking for a particular type of companies. So I think uh, not only the fundamentals work, you also have to try hard to find where you fit in the economy, where can you add value? Where is the kind of projects that you can do? If you can do that, then you can absolutely make a win, make money in Iran. Um, be patient and find your place, yeah. So um, give me a quick perspective around what it is that you guys chose to do? Because you, you, you went in with very little capital, so you weren't gonna be CapEx intensive, um, and you were looking at capturing a you know, part of that value chain in terms of yeah. data analytics and a lot of the data around all uh, the ERNG industry. So just... Yeah, so we were basically um, trying to, as I said earlier, just trying to take advantage of this uh, arbitrage opportunity between Iran and outside because it's been closed for so long. And uh, we figured that um, information is quite valuable and reliable information is very hard to come by. It isn't there. 
So we set out to uh, basically um, put together a, a package for oil and gas investors explaining what the opportunities are, evaluating the opportunities and doing it and do it professionally. And it took us about two and a half years to build that product. We call it Iran Toolkit and um, became an industry hit. And many oil companies have used it to establish uh, where they should look and what fields they should look at and uh, what kind of returns they could get. Um, so that's what we did. And we focused primarily on that area and one area, one sector. So we haven't been into downstream, we haven't touched petrochemical. Um, so there's a, a huge market uh, by themselves, but uh, just focused on one thing. And um, the other thing we've done is basically we've, uh, we've also helped um, a number of hedge funds helping those who trade commodities and oil, oil and gas products uh, to understand how much product, uh, how much oil, crude and product uh, could be coming out of Iran. So in terms of providing them with, uh, with forecasts, uh, quarterly forecasts of uh, production, both crude and, uh, and products. And I think that's something that uh, we have basically, we were very, very able to do because we had the details and information about the field. So we put together some forecasts, which were very useful for the industry because when Iran opened up, uh, came back pretty quickly, required a large volume of oil, uh, uh, increased its production and exports. And when that happened, a lot of traders had to kind of update their supply demand models to be able to um, trade. And um, so we played a key role at that period when it was when that was happening. And we continued to produce a forecast, mostly basically for hedge funds who, who use this uh, data. Um, that's pretty much what we do. But initially, your client base was not intended to be hedge funds, correct? It was more no. industry oil companies. Oil companies. So yeah. what does that look like from the demand side at the moment, Marty? For it, specifically to Iran, like, you know, again, okay. So we're not at 100 well, uh, oil anymore, uh, roughly 50. Um, there's this political uncertainty around uh, the Trump administration. What does the market look yeah. like at, at when they're looking at Iran? Who's interested there? My feeling from speaking to hedge fund managers um, sending the data points on that front is that people are talking about this, but nobody's really diving into the water. People are kind of maybe dipping their toe a little bit, but the actual amount of capital that's gone into Iran is absolutely fresh. Maybe. It's nothing. It's, it's, <laughs> yes. it's, you know, I'm pretty sure Donald Trump spends more at dinner. It's very, very small. And so you've got this, it's almost like an industry wide buildup of, understanding that at some point this could be huge home run potential huge yeah but absolutely nobody really wants to there's a couple <laughs> of like there's buddies of mine that run sturgeon which is a i don't know if you're aware of them so they run yes yeah, yeah so the, yeah anyway so you know um kian and Clementa and the guys there so but again from that perspective like their funds tiny and they're the biggest yeah. like they're one of the biggest players <laughs> in i know yeah, and you know, they're great. They're great guys. Great guys. Yes. So I know, but this is the problem, right? It's like we have built a. There's a six-lane highway, in, <laughs> and no one is driving. It's mm -hmm. there. The infrastructure is there. You know, I don't know. Maybe it takes a tr one or two trucks to 
to to go through first uh, for for others to start driving uh, behind them. Um, the infrastructure if is you, there. If you if you just we've had instances. I mean, shit, take Brazil, right? When when the bricks were all on fire, you had countries which had infrastructure which couldn't. It wasn't even infrastructure; it was just infra. You know, there's no structure, <laughs> and and so you had. But there was enormous amounts of capital going in. There wasn't the, the ability to actually extract ROI from that took mm. way more OPEX and way more CAPEX than most people anticipated. And yet they still kept going. Yes. And when I take Iran, like you say, there's all the infrastructures there. If you actually do put time and energy in your yeah. OPEX is going to be a fraction of that, which it is, which it would be in Absolutely. most of these other, um, uh, comparative countries that have got Absolutely. you know energy reserves and so on and so forth I think the problem is uh, the US really problem is American policy uh, the US policy because people are worried that you know people have been fined banks are not supporting they're just people are just just as scared of what could come next it's not definitely not the infrastructure problem it's not the industry problem it's uh, there's a lot of places where you could put your money and uh, make a good return in Iran. Um, just make a great return. It's just that uh, people are scared of what could happen. So you asked a question earlier about, so what's, where is the demand coming from? Demand is now coming from Asia because there, are, there happen to be some people in Asia who have no business in the U.S. and they're pretty okay with investing into Iran and uh, just fine with it. So the interesting well, thing, Marty, is that because I speak with a lot of my buddies who are running capital from both North America and from um, Asia, and all my buddies in Asia, maybe not all, but there's a decent portion of them whose complete mindset is very, very different. And their ability to go and invest in a place like Iran 20 years ago, they would have been in the situation where they were a little bit pressured by whatever the US did. Right? Absolutely. And increasingly today, they're going, you know what? We don't care as much as we used to. And we're prepared to go, look, on an on a, um, ostensible political front, this is Duterte, right? The Filipino president, who's literally gone, fuck you guys. We don't care what you're doing, Americans. What do you call them? Pig, dog, whore or something? <laughs> yeah. And, he's, yeah. and he's aligning himself with China and Russia and a number of other countries. And... You know, look, he's a he's a fairly flamboyant uh, individual in that space, but essentially the zeitgeist in Asia mm. is quite different, um, and I can feel it even from very conservative money managers that are, you know, running funds which are you know fixed income funds. You don't really get a more conservative kind of uh, money manager than a than a fixed income yeah. guy who's not doing high yield debt, and then increasingly these guys are actually looking at. They're not yet investing the the high the fixed income guys, the high yield guys are, but they're looking at places like Iran. And I know for a fact, twenty years ago, that was just off the cards, was not going to happen. And so, yeah, there's a shift, fundamental shift, in terms of non-Americans who are saying, we actually don't think America's as relevant anymore. Mm. Um, and I think you can see this very much happening in China. You know, because China is. Uh, China, some people say they have already, their big funds have started liquidating their assets in 
in the U.S. and uh, because of because of what's been going on, Trump and so forth, so on and so forth. But Chinese firms have a lot of money. Chinese have a lot of money, and they were a very key partner for Iran in financing Iran, Iranian projects, infrastructure projects, oil and gas, and so on uh, over the years. And they come back again. And Chinese, they like to. If you look at Chinese, if you talk to Chinese leadership, Chinese companies, um, holding companies with cash, there there are one or two places they always mention, which is a place where they can put the money, and they need to be able to put a lot of money in a place. They have they they need to place huge sums of money. They talk about Iran and they talk about Iraq. So. They're, they're regularly, they're very regularly mentioned this in their interviews, and they're very focused on these two countries. That's because both of them provide them with an opportunity to access supply chain, to bring their own supply chain, and access commodities, access production. That's very important for the Chinese, and they can do that in both those countries. They can bring financing, they can put a lot of money to work, and essentially, a little bit just, you know, how much. I sometimes think that some of these trading firms, mid-sized or larger trading firms, they actually they actually prefer a difficult environment for a country like Iran to trade because they can then take advantage of margins. You get margin expansion. They, it's a it's a deal, good deal for them. And similarly, Chinese actually prefer for Iran to operate in difficulty, so to be in tough spot, to be between you know, rock and a hard place so that they can actually take advantage of, of the situation. Iranians don't want that to happen. They're diversifying. They're talking to others. Uh, but in Asia, it happens that a lot of the money still is in China. There will be some others who have money, but quite a lot of the money is focused, concentrated, centered in China. And, and you're going to see this play out again because if there is a choice between not having anything and having Chinese money with all the trouble it comes with, you, you take the Chinese money. Uh, you're not going to stop the projects. And the Iranians have showed, demonstrated before that they don't want to do that. They rather get the money in and get to work, put the economy to work. Oil is not a big business in Iran. Oil is actually uh, is not a big employer in the country, but it plays a critical role in um, in putting the industry in bringing the industry back to work. So when we have always had the stagnation in the economy, if you have one or two oil projects, big projects moving forward, the industry moves with it. Right. It brings the industry back. So that's what Iranians will definitely want to make that happen uh, to bring the economy back in. Although it doesn't employ a lot of people, but it creates, ignites the economy. Well, I guess you get the tertiary businesses that come off the back yeah. end, right? Um, yeah, and money flows into the country and we know how to unlike Saudi Arabia for example which doesn't have a place to put a place to put actively place capital in the country for economic growth Iranians can actually reinvest reallocate that capital uh, return one of the things that I find really fascinating about Iran is that if you if you you know a lot of people will compare it to Venezuela to Saudi Arabia to all of these Petro energy countries, right? Yeah. Even Russia, which is largely a petro energy country, it's certainly commodity intensive. But Iran actually has an entire 
industry, which is separate from the petrol yes. industry, it's actually a developed, um, well-developed economy. So if you're looking to place capital into all sorts of sectors, it's all there. And if you, I mean, <laughs> the Iranian stock market is, is one of the cheapest in the world. The PE ratios, price to book price, sales, you name it, it just all looks ridiculous. But the only thing holding it back, of course, is this reticence towards um, investing into a country where you don't quite know what the yeah. political situation could look like. And that's really what's holding a lot of it back. But again, that infrastructure we talk about, that six-lane highway you're talking about, it's there and it's not purely commodity. It's not purely petro industry. No. Um, and so when you get the flow through from the petro, if you get the flow through from the petro industry, it actually can recycle internally, which is very different to, you know, Venezuela or Saudi Arabia. Because what happens there is essentially the money gets taken in and then it gets deployed elsewhere. It gets reinvested into U.S. treasuries or, or U.S. real estate or Canadian, real, whatever it is. Yeah, and, and a lot of it is actually uh, is actually leaves the country because yeah. they pay, uh, you know, these expats uh, who do pretty much everything from uh, washing the dishes all the way to running the hospitals. It's, it's all outsourced. I mean, so that's... And because they don't really have a whole lot else. I mean, Dubai's tried to create a different model, right? Yeah. In terms yeah. of um, creating R&D and technology yeah. and stuff. It's kind of, <laughs> look, it's worth I mean, Dubai, you get traveled in Dubai. It looks a lot different than Cairo, right? <laughs> so sure. to a certain extent, it's worked, but it's not the same thing as what Iran or the potential that Iran has. And so... That's an element that most investors are not considered when looking at Iran. Is that the, the broadness, the scope of potential goes well beyond the petrol industry. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. Petrol is just one small, in fact, I would say small part of the whole picture. I mean, I was just looking at um, some stats earlier on, you know, um, scientific and techn technical and education rates in Iran exceed those of Korea, Finland, Germany, the USA, Brazil, Japan. I mean, you're talking about countries which are well-developed, spending a lot of money in, and have got the infrastructure for educational and, and Iran is way ahead of all of them. So yes. you've got this really highly educated population. Um, certainly when you look at in the sort of Middle East region, it's a massive standout. Like you say, it's politically stable. And it's just, it's, um, I was chatting with, with a friend the other day, and he's really bullish on, on Iran as well, Iran and India. Yeah. And, um, and we were talking about this very factor. And it's, you know, it's one of those things where if you get it wrong, right, if you, if you look at it now and you go, okay, what's your risk? You know, what's your downside? I think it's somewhat limited. There's a binary option there in that you could have Trump go off, off, off center and decide yes. he's going to start bombing these guys, right? It yes. can happen. Yeah. I mean, yes. um, yeah. this, this guy's uh, absolutely, you know, you don't know. He could be doing, he could be doing anything. Yeah. And so that he's, is, he's, he says something, you know, but the problem is that with, when he says some things, um, I don't know whether he understands the implications. Um, <laughs> you know, I don't even want to start talking about Trump because it's just, uh, you know, as there's a plenty of material out there and he speaks for himself. 
I just think uh, as far as Iran is concerned, people need to understand that this has always been the case. There's never that's, been... That's my point. And then you look, so there's like in investments that I always look for, I look for asymmetry, right? Yeah, yeah. Where you're, you've got a quantifiable risk on the downside, right? And then all it is, Marty, is position sizing, right? And you're saying, look, how do I position size accordingly? And then you look at what's, what's the alternative. So the upside in Iran is I'm not sure if there's another country I can think of that has the same upside potential. India, maybe, uh, which I actually didn't agree with until I was chatting with, was Raul I was talking to, and Raul Powell. And there's something going on there on the technology side, which, um, which I'll probably cover with him on a, on a phone call in the next couple of weeks. Yes. But which I wasn't aware of. And that's quite, a, it is pretty phenomenal yes. what they're doing. But aside from yes. that, I, um, what sits in Iran is, is pretty phenomenal. The potential upside is. And, and the other really awesome element about it, nobody's looking at it. <laughs> like very, very few. Well, I say nobody. Actually, say, a lot of people that are like smart people I know who are looking at it, but again, nobody's diving in. And so your, you know, your cost basis going in right now is extremely low. And what's interesting is that when things change at the margin, and this is true of any market, whether you've got a bull market or a bear market, things change at the margin and it changes the, the zeitgeist. Your exponential change after that margin change is enormous. And you, never, you very rarely have time to actually move into that market and jump on. Um, and, and so this is this is true of any bull market that's reached highs, and it, and you you might get a, a small correction, and no one's really paying attention, but that's the change at the margin, and your 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 additional marginal buyers have now left the party, and you've, all you've got now is this massive pool of sellers. That's all that you've got, and then on yeah. the downside, you have the same thing. So when I look at markets, you can look at various markets and go, they're really cheap. I mean, here's a here's a prime example. Democratic Republic of the Congo, hugely valuable in terms of resources. It's the most resource-rich country in the world, but it's a fucking yeah. basket case, right? Politically yeah. unstable, it, you know, corrupt as hell, all these sorts of things. So you look at that and you say, okay, I could see the potential upside. That potential might never be reached in my lifetime, but, you know, I might play it. Let's see what, what the factors are. Who could actually yeah. come into this space? Who's actually looking at it? Even if it got better, who's looking at it? And the answer is nobody, right? Yes. So to actually pull in that capital would take a longer time and it would take Absolutely. more marketing, more, it, it would, it's not, it's not going to happen quite easy. When I take it run, all the smart guys I'm talking to, they know about it, right? This is not, yes. this is not unknown to them. No, for sure. So they know sure. about it, but they're all sitting at the start line going, no, 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 you go first. No, 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 you go first. Yeah, yeah um, unfortunately. That is, that is exactly right. But I also say that in, uh, in our business, this is actually what oil companies do. They go to risky places, do risky business. I think it, even, it surprises me that, you know, the interest that some of the oil companies have been playing that hide and seek game because... Um, that isn't what they do. That's what we do. I mean, this is the industry where <laughs> we go to risk. places where 
<laughs> it happens that oil is, you know, uh, it happens that oil is in, uh, in some tough places. So, but uh, uh, look, uh, the long-term pers- perspective on Iran is very positive. I just, uh, I cannot, I don't, there is, whichever way you look at it, even very pessimistic scenarios, the, uh, the, the perspective is positive. It's just about positioning, as you pointed out. And if you position properly, position yourself correctly, um, and you don't have to start very risky businesses, you don't have to, you know, put your entire fortune into it. Uh, but if you if you start a business, you back a business, you take a position. Um, I am confident that uh, as the market opens up and things, uh, the fundamentals are right over the long term, you cannot help but make money. Um, but people, people's short, short memory, <laughs> right? short term memory. Oh, what's going to happen tomorrow? What's going to happen the day after? If you think that way, then uh, you can never move. Not just in Iran or in any market, because you'll be constantly waiting to see what the headlines are tomorrow. Yeah, it becomes knee jerk reaction, and it's not a thought through process. So I got another question yeah. for you: What interest is there, if any, from the Middle East? from the UAE, for example? Because there's a lot of money sitting there as well. There is, uh, but that, that kind of money likes real estate. So <laughs> likes that kind of, that kind of assets. Yeah. They don't really go into oil. And uh, there's also some political, political chat, this kind of frictions between Iran and the UAE and some of the Persian Gulf countries. So I don't anticipate to get to see a lot of money flowing in from those countries. Um, and anyway, that, that money just generally doesn't go into oil business anyway, uh, the commodities. So I yeah. think very unlikely, I see. Yeah, yeah, very good. Okay, um, and you mentioned that you're going to be moving your company to Singapore. So um, I look forward to that because I'm often in Singapore. Oh, and um, then that way I can buy you a drink. <laughs> So I'll leave you there. Um, it's been, been a lot of fun chatting to you and I appreciate your time and definitely we'll catch up when you're, um, when you're back over my, <clears throat> my side of the, of the pond. I can almost guarantee you that living in Singapore is going to be a lot warmer than living in London. <laughs> I've lived in both. Well, actually, no, I've not lived in Singapore, but I've spent, I've been spent about six years in, in London when you're up yeah. in London and um, uh, it's funny where I'm living now, we, they call it the land of the long white cloud, right? New Zealand's the land of the long, Aotearoa, the land of the long white cloud. And we always used to joke in London and say, oh, it's the land of the long gray cloud. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because it's just always gray, always raining. Yes. Um, yes. And, you know, Absolutely. having grown up in Africa, that was, that was tough to take. Um, so... You're not coming. You're not going back. <laughs> not in a hurry. Not yeah. Hurry. So um, yeah, great stuff. Um, no, thank you. It was, I enjoyed the enjoyed the conversation. Enjoyed our chat. Thanks very much for tuning in. To receive more great subscriber-only information, go to capitalistexploits.at.